From the K-Rob Collection, this is Audio Antiques, featuring programs from the golden age of American radio. I'm Ken Robinson. In this podcast, we examine a man who needs little introduction. Muhammad Ali was an African-American boxer, activist, entertainer, and philanthropist. Many experts regard Ali as the best heavyweight boxer of all time and the greatest sportsman of the 20th century. Born Cassius Marcellus Clay Jr., he became the heavyweight champ in 1964 and retired in 1981. Ali was an early performer of spoken word poetry and rap music. In fact, in 1963, he released this album, I Am the Greatest, and was nominated for a Grammy Award. The album included this single, The Gang's All Here. In 2001, Muhammad Ali was presented with the Presidential Citizens Medal by U.S. President Bill Clinton. 
We're going to hear ABC Radio's ringside description of Ali's 1964 fight against heavyweight champ Sonny Liston, which put him on the path to greatness. From 1971, we'll hear mutual broadcasting system coverage of Ali's first bout with Joe Frazier, which was called the fight of the century. Unfortunately, during the late 1960s, boxing promoters banned a live ringside reporting by broadcasters to force fans to buy tickets for closed-circuit telecasts in theaters, thus ending radio's long tradition of carrying fights live from the scene. It also sparked a long decline in the popularity of boxing. Finally, we'll hear a 1979 Muhammad Ali press conference on United Nations Radio in New York held just two years before he retired. If you're tired of outrageously expensive cell phone bills, come on over to Mint Mobile. Talk, text, and data plans just start at $15 a month. There are no contracts. Sign up and Mint will send you a SIM card. Just insert it into your phone. You can even keep your old number. So don't make your cell phone provider rich. Keep that money in your wallet. Go to krobcollection.com for details on Mint Mobile. They've had the referee's instructions, and now let's turn it over to Les Kider. Thank you, Howard Cassell, and good evening, sports fans across the land. And now the questions will be answered. Listen in the white trunks with the black stripes. Clay, an inch and a half taller in the white trunks with a red stripe. Play to our left, listen to our right. The heavyweight championship of the world, and it goes past the first round. There will be surprises already. Listen, bobbing and weaving. Clay has been bouncing up and down, and here they come. Clay and Listen, and Listen misses a long left lead to start it off. Lands a left jab on the nose. Clay backing away, and Clay moving to his left as they said he would do. Listen, tags him with a left high on the head. Clay just backing away. Clay hasn't swung a punch yet. Listen, moved right after him, and now Clay sticks a left in the nose of Listen. Listen, keeps moving. He's stalking his man, bobbing, weaving. Now Clay shifts and goes clockwise, then counterclockwise. Now moving to his left. Bobbing, weaving, takes a light left on the eyelid, another left on the nose by Liston. It's Clay, who swung only one point so far. Takes a hard right to the body, it hurts, and Liston moves in, but Clay tries to tie him up in mid-ring. Barney Felix breaks him. Liston, line of the best punch so far, left the body, left to the nose by Liston. Another one by Clay, and then Liston, right over our ABC microphones, misses a wild right hand. Clay, moving to his left, forces Liston to miss a wild left. Then Liston missed a right to the body, and Clay keeps dancing. Clay doing thus far what he said he would do. Lands a light left to the right ear of Liston. Now it's Liston stalking, but Clay bobbing, weaving, goes in low with a light left to the body and then backs away. Faints with his head, takes a left to the neck by Liston. Right over our microphones. Liston throws the left jab twice, both on the neck. Clay just laughs at him, backs away, bobbing, weaving, and he's inviting murder as his hands down. Then he throws a left to Liston's ear, misses a wild right hook. Missed by Clay. Clay does not seem awed by Liston up to this juncture. Listen with a light left to the nose. Clay trying to show Liston he can take his punches. Forces Liston to miss another left hand. Liston has another kind of boy in there tonight than Patterson. Here's Liston missing a right to the body. And Clay lands a left to the nose. And then backs away and pulls his head back as they warned him not to do. And he's doing it and getting away with it so far. Liston, light left to the head. Another left to the nose. And Clay keeps moving around like a statue going in reverse. Then throws a light left to the head. And then backs away again. Moves in, moves back, dances sideways, takes the left of the nose, crouches, ties up Liston. And in the first two minutes, it's been Cassius Clay doing what the expert said he would not get away with. Clay misses a light left, taken on the gloves by Liston. Liston now bobbing and weaving. Liston now not throwing punches, waiting for an opening. Now throws a left to the head. And Clay bounces like a wrestler off the top ropes and eludes both punches thrown by Liston. Clay with a light left to the body and a left taken on the gloves of Liston. 
play with the left of the nose and play with the left of the cheek. It's play so far. Here's Liston missing a long left lead. Liston bobs, weaves. Play with a light left of the nose. Play with a left and a right attack. A left and a right and another left and a right by Clay. And Liston blinked. Here's Liston hit with a right to the ear. Play with a left and a right. Look out, Cassius. He's throwing left hand. And now Liston throws the left to the body. And it was Cassius play with a half a dozen assorted blows. He forced Liston to blink. Here's Liston missing a long left as Cassius backs away. Clay now a light left jab to the head. Clay with his eyes open wide. They look like doorknobs are so wide open. Here is Liston stalking him again. Takes a light left to the waist. Throws the left to the nose and Clay backs away. Keeps daring him to swing those left hands. Clay with a sharp left cross to the nose. Another one to the nose. A left jab to the nose. A left to the head. All Clay. And a left to the nose by Clay. They keep fighting after the bell. And the Liston with the left thing. Liston back Clay to his corner. The bell is run and they keep on fighting for 20 seconds. That's the end of round one. He's gaining in confidence. That's the summary up to this point. Here is Les Kider as we await the belt. Round three, Howard, and 50% of the experts are wrong already. All right, a light left to the ear by Clay. Listen to the long range, ducks away from a left jab, and then shoots the left to Clay's head, backs Clay to the rope, throws a hard right to Clay's body. Clay bounces off the rope. Now shoots the left that misses. Misses the left and a right. And Liston moves in with the left to the body. Liston bobbing, leading. Hits by a left and a right. And another right hand thrown by Clay. Clay misses two left and then lands a left and a right and hurts Liston. A right by Clay. Liston topples. A left by Clay. He has Liston's eye cut open. Liston bleeding under both eyes. And now Liston moves in. He may be in the upset of the century. A left by Clay. A left and a right. And Liston almost topples. A left by Clay. Another left by Clay. Liston misses a wild left. Liston's eye badly cut. He shoots a light left, gets Clay against the ropes. Clay ducks and backs away. Clay forces Liston to miss a right hand, but Liston lands with the left, gets Clay into the ropes. Clay trying to hold Liston off now. Liston's eyes badly cut and he was hurt. Clay may be playing possum, we don't know. All right, Clay at long range. Liston's left eye badly cut, he throws a long left that misses. A left by Clay and a right and left by Clay in close. Liston ducked away and did not get most of the effect of those punches. Now it's Clay at long range. Clay unmarked, lands a left to the ear. Liston trying to stalk him now. Gets Clay against the ropes. Clay pushes Liston back. Now it's Clay seemingly out of breath for the minute as he ducks the left and hit by a left and a right thrown by Liston. Liston throwing caution to the winds, pounding hard. A left to the chin of Clay. Clay ducks as Liston backs Clay into Clay's own corner. Clay pushes him back. All right, now halfway through round three. Liston was cut badly and toppled once. Now Liston's coming back. Clay got hit with a left. Clay hit with another left. Ducks right in front of our, over our ABC microphone. Clay seemingly is out of breath for the moment. He lands a light left, misses a right as Liston ducks under him. Liston poised with the right, didn't throw it. Clay backs along the ropes. Liston right above our microphone now, ducks from a left hand. Liston straight left jab twice, once to the ear, once to the chin, knocks Clay into the rope. Clay unmarked, but Clay being hurt to the body. Clay trying to follow up, seemingly not aggressive since he hurt Liston. Now he throws a right top of the head. Clay backs away, pulls the head back, then ducks, then hits with the left, and Liston begins to move in. Liston throws a light left, and Clay has seemingly no defense against him as Liston pushes him up against the rope, lands a right uppercut in close. Clay getting hurt in close. Liston has his left eye swollen shut, his right eye cut. Liston missed a right, missed a left as Clay backs away. Clay exclusively on a bicycle moving backwards now. It's Liston with a light left, tries to set him up with a left for a right, and missed both of them. Throws a left to the body, a left to the ear, all by Sonny Liston. Clay backing away. Clay unmarked, but Clay seemingly has run out of breath. He forces Liston to miss a right hand. He's making Liston look very awkward. It's Clay with a straight left, exchanging left hands with Liston. Liston's eyes look like he's been in a meat grinder. Sonny Liston, both eyes cut. But he's landing on Clay now. Clay backing away. 
shoots a light left jab with like a kid pawing away. No effort, no strength on it. Liston throws the leftist tight up. Clay ties him up right over our ABC microphone. The bell and a round three. Something's the matter with Cassius Clay. Something is the matter with Cassius Clay as we were getting ready to start the fourth round. He is having trouble with his eyes. The bell sounds for the fifth round correction, and he is having trouble with his eyes. Let's One of his trainers yelled there's something on Liston's gloves. Clay is blinking, said he can't see. Here's Liston crouching, hitting to the body, and Clay keeps blinking like he doesn't see Liston, and that will be fatal. Here's Liston throwing a left to the head, gets Clay against the rope, pounds left and right to Clay's body, and it's Liston all the way now, left and right to Clay's body. Clay tries to fend him off and still blinks like he can't see. Left to the top of the head by Liston, and Clay looks all done as he backs away. Liston gets him against the rope. It's all Sonny Liston, the champion now. Against the challenger is Clay, backing away almost half-heartedly from Liston. Liston's eyes both chopped up, but he's leading the damage and throwing the damage now. It's Clay blinking, blinking, backing away. Liston's left blocked by his glove. Liston has Clay in Liston's corner, misses a right shot. And side-wheeling out of there is Clay, but Clay hitting the nose with a hard left hand. Liston gets him in the corner and pounds hard to the body. Clay's been hurt now. Clay trying to fend him off into the rope, side-wheeling away, but Liston stalks and throws a right to the chin. Liston is close to finishing it now. He has Clay with a left to the body and a left and a right, and it's Clay only half-heartedly side-wheeling away. His gloves open in front of him. Liston paws with the left. Liston, awkward, but still throwing the dynamite. Liston stalks and fakes with the left, paints with his head. Fakes again as side-wheeling Clay gets out of the way from that one moving along the ropes. As he did earlier, but not as fast. Clay comes back with two left jabs. Clay, pawing away, seems to see okay now. But he catches the left top of the head. Liston with another left and a right to the chin, thrown by Clay. And by Liston, a left hard left cross to the chin by Liston. It's Liston with a left and a right. Liston throwing the bombs. Left to the head, Liston. Liston misses the left. Clay still throwing him, holding him at range with a left hand, then duck. But Liston straightening up with a short right chop to the chin. Liston missed the left, but Clay leans over the top rope and forces Liston to miss again. Halfway through round number five, neither man down. Liston, light left, and Clay gets hit with a left to the nose in Liston's corner, wrestles Liston down, and Liston's left eye is closing again. Although it's Liston doing all the swinging now. Clay holds him at bay with a left hand, like a wrestler, making Liston look under his glove to try and find an opening. And now, Liston is taunted by Clay's left, which he keeps pushing into his nose and blinding Liston so he can't see for the moment. He keeps that left hand open and just taps away three, four, five times. Here's Liston with a right to the body. Clay backing away and then throws a left hook. And Liston is tied up in Liston's corner by Clay. Clay walking away, almost defying Liston to hit him. And Liston trying his level best to do just that. Liston faints to the left. Stalks him, throws a hard left to the cheek of, of Cassius Clay. And they almost talk to each other for the moment. Clay looking at him as if to say, there, that your best punch. I took it, didn't I? All right, here's Liston now in slow motion. Both men seemingly tired. Clay ducks, keeps his hands down with a right hand paw up over his nose, and that's what Liston can't see over half the time. Here it is again, the left in the face of Liston. Not punched, just laying on his nose. The bell, the end of round five. Lands the left, but Liston ducked under, took an eye on the forehead. Liston, not aggressive now, hit with a right to the cheek and a left to the eye. It's Clay coming out again. Passes Clay at long range, shoots a straight left to the nose, another one. And Liston doesn't seem able to come back from it, or doesn't seem to want to at the moment. Takes another left to the nose, thrown by Cassius Clay. And the Louisville left is throwing the leather. He misses most of them, but a couple land top of the head. Swinging wild. He may be dreaming now of going on to finish Sonny. He shoots the left to the nose. It's Liston without throwing anything this round. There's a straight left by Sonny that missed. 
the champion of the world, Sonny Liston, harassed by Cassius Clay. Clay at long range now, not moving on the bicycle, just pulling back his head. And now he shoots a left to the air, and a short right shot and a left to the head by Clay. And the big question to everybody, what's the matter with Sonny Liston? It's all Clay at the moment, and he's not doing too much, but more than Liston. Liston ducks, Liston with a left out, not throwing in the punch. He seems okay when you see him standing there, but he's not doing any punching. Here's a straight left jab that misses by Liston. Clay against the rope, but Liston, instead of moving in on him, works to the body, and Clay just side wheels away again. Now it's Clay with a light left, another light left, and he almost looks like he's talking Liston for the moment. Liston, straight up with a left hand out, takes a light left to the nose, another left to the cheek thrown by Cassius Clay. The challenger throws a right hand bolt, and Liston ducked away from it. Now at long range, we're midway through round number six. Convention Hall, Miami, a very tame sixth round. Clay bobbing with his head, so is Liston, and it's Liston backing up now. Clay comes in with a left and a right, neither one with much damage, but it's Liston backpedaling away. And Clay, instead of on the bicycle now, the champion. And it's Clay missing a left, landing a light right. The crowd roared, but he didn't hurt him. It's the fact that he's doing the aggressive fighting, and Liston is not. A light left misses by Clay, and it's Clay moving in, Liston backing up. Liston stands flat-footed for the moment, has the left high. It's Clay shooting a hard left inside that lands on the neck of the champion. And Liston lands a short, jolting left hook, the best punch he's thrown this round. Now he takes a light left to the nose, another one thrown by Clay at long range. It's Cassius Clay jabbing with a left, jabbing with a left. Another left by Clay. And all the predictors of a one-round knockout have long since seen their predictions go down the drain. All right, here's Liston right over our microphone. Stalking, just shooting a light left jab. And now Clay comes back stalking, shooting left. And it's Liston backing up a couple of steps. Then Liston with a sharp right that lands on the neck as Clay pulled his head back. Clay with a light left. Clay seemingly unmarked, seemingly unaffected by Liston's punches thus far. And the bell. And that's the end of round six. Is what Rocky Marciano has just said. This is hard to figure out as we come up to round seven. Clay looks like he about had it coming into the fourth round. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Sonny Liston's not coming out. Sonny Liston is not coming out. He's out. The winner and the new heavyweight champion of the world is Cassius Clay. Last time going up into the ring. All right, Howard. Sonny Liston is sitting on his stool. Cassius, come here, Cassius, wait a minute, 
Our good master boxer who could fight uh, Frazier like Foster did for the first round, he'll whoop him. But Foster was 188 pounds, he was too small. But a good 215 to 20 pounds, such as myself, uh, moving twice as fast as Foster, hitting twice as hard as Foster, much, much better than Ellis. I'm much, much better than Bonavino. I'm much, much better than Jerry Quarry. Uh, so this shows that uh, Joe Frazier uh, is a good fighter, but not a good boxer. And a good boxer, a good heavyweight, I would say, Sugar Ray Robinson, our kid Gavilana, Johnny Bratton, would just play with Joe Frazier. He doesn't seem to be very impressed with your speed. He told me he thought that uh, Mathis was faster than you are, or just as fast. That goes to show that he's a shocked. Uh, Joe Frazier hates to admit it, but Joe Frazier got that title by beating Buster Mathis. So he's got to say that Buster Mathis was his fastest man because he beat a big fella who wasn't ranked with me. And only I was in exile is why Joe Frazier got great. After defeating Sonny Liston, a man who was much better than Joe Frazier is now. When I was in the tour, I was with Liston. Even when I wasn't as powerful as the oldest Iron Man, strong, I didn't hit it hard. Joe Frazier was a kid coming out of the Olympics. And when I fought Joe Foley, that was my 10th title defense. Then they started recognizing Frazier after I won 10 titles. And I predict it will all come out in this fight. You will see a master, beautiful, flashy, dancing, master, boxing artist meeting a good, good Olympic fighter. Uh, I didn't have to fight Bonavino. I didn't have to fight Quarry. I think if a man's a champion, he should defend his title without return clauses and fight them all. I could have just bided my time, got my license and everything, and fought Frazier for the big money, thinking, uh, 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 well, if I lose, I'll be paid. No, I'm a fair sport. I went out and gave Jerry Quarry the number one contender who in seven rounds with Joe Frazier, whipped him in three rounds, three and a half year layoff, and I ended up super bad, as James Brown say. I was quicker than Frazier. I fought hard. I came off with extra power. Frazier wasn't that strong when he fought Bonavina. And as a matter of fact, the press couldn't get into Frazier's dressing room and he wouldn't let me in. I found out why later, because he fainted from exhaustion. Now, I didn't have a mark on my face. My face wasn't beat to a pump. I did something to Bonavina that couldn't be done. He was in better fighting shape than he was when he fought Frazier. So the three and a half year layoff, and me being the real champion, coming back on a six week notice, whooping the two contenders who were Frazier's toughest opponents, easy and easy, shows that beyond a shot of a doubt that I'm the real heavyweight champion of the world. And when I step in that ring with Joe Frazier, this will be no contest. It won't be close. It won't be rough. It will be no contest. And he's always talking about he's going to come out smoking. Well, you tell Joe he can come out smoking because I ain't going to be joking. I'll be pecking and a-poking, pouring water on his smoking. This might shock and amaze you, but I will retire Joe Frazier. Did you ever get the feeling, uh, Charles King, that you'd like to match uh, Cassius Clay I, with Casey Stingle? I have a feeling I've been there before. Incidentally, on a little uh, sorrowful note, I'd like to bring to the attention of our audience, Harold Lloyd, a great sports fan and one of the great actors of Hollywood, died this evening, age 77 in Hollywood. He's the fellow that originated those cliffhangers, wasn't he? That's where right. Where he from the ledge? Where he did all his own stuff, too. He made uh, Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser look like nothing, the way that guy would hang out the building. That's right. You know, speaking of Cassius Clay, his brother, uh, I believe his name is Rudy, I don't know the Muslim name, but anyway, he was defeated tonight, which uh, might be something of an omen. We're sitting here in our mutual studios in New York, this is Van Patrick along with Charles King. Now let's get a little reaction around the nation. And let's switch out to the Motor City of Detroit where mutual sportscaster Dick Buller is waiting.
Here in Detroit, there are three locations showing the Ali Frazier bout on closed-circuit television. Olympia Stadium, the University of Detroit Memorial Building, and the Fox Theater. Lincoln Cavalieri is manager of Olympia, where the Detroit Red Wings usually play their home games, and he gave us this late report. Uh, we've sold 14,000 seats, including standing room. UAD has sold out their uh, approximately 8,000 seats there, and Fox Theater has sold out their 5,000 seats there. Yeah, I understand there's a few scalpers out in the front trying to sell tickets for $30. Uh, it's amazing that you see this in a closed-circuit thing, but uh, it's happening. Some of the people have bought them tickets and they try to sell them. Uh, people are trying to get tickets all over now, and it's just one of those things that happen once in a century, I guess. So, here in the Motor City, home for many years of that great heavyweight champion they call the Brown Bomber, Joe Lewis, the sold-out sign is up at all locations. A moment ago, you heard from some of the leading sports writers around the nation. Bob Considine is still with us, and uh, Bob, let's hear from you. You know, Van, every nation in the world wants a heavyweight champion. He's got to be the very best of his time, but there can be only one at a time. He can't stay there forever, either. If he makes it to the top, well, his manager, his trainer, his backers, and even his fans all think they had something to do with it. They were responsible. And in a way, I guess they were right. And when he fights, he fights alone against a man who wants exactly what he's got. There isn't room for both at the top. And later tonight, everyone in the world will know the name of the heavyweight champion of the world. Let's get some reaction now in New York. And uh, sportscaster Don Creaky is standing by. And Don is over at the Statler Hilton. Van, I'm uh, located at the Statler Hilton Hotel right across the street from Madison Square Garden. And uh, one of the things you have to be impressed with is the tremendous job the New York City police are doing in keeping the flow of traffic moving. It was estimated earlier today there'd be upwards of 50 or 60,000 people concentrated in a one-block area during the fight, 20,000 inside the garden, and uh, 30 or 40,000 milling around outside. Well, that's not going to happen because the police are keeping the traffic moving. And nobody who's not moving into the garden is allowed to stand around at all. The, uh, there's electricity about the, the pre-fight atmosphere, as we'd expect. And uh, everybody's waiting now. As here in New York, it's reported the odds in the fight are absolutely even. So we'll be talking to you after the fight. Now back to you, Van Patrick. All right, Don. And Tim Ryan, earlier today, talked to a former champion, Gene Fulmer, and also Jose Torres. George Foreman, uh, the man who many think will be the next heavyweight champion after this issue is settled here tonight. Uh, George, how do you see this fight? Well, I see it as a close fight, you know. They'll determine who will be winner when they face out there in the ring. I know there's no other way of telling, you know, before then. These are both winners, and they're going to both be trying to win. They're not going to sell for a loss, as far as I'm concerned. This is the uh, classic confrontation, so they say, uh, between a boxer and a slugger. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you uh, see that confrontation? Uh, does one have an advantage over the other? Well, they're both, you know, got a lot going for them. Joe Frey has beat everybody available as far as he's concerned. And, you know, in a title contention, and he's it's recognized as a champion. I recognize him as a champion. That was George Foreman. Incidentally, we were at ringside, uh, Charles, uh, in Mexico City when uh, George Foreman won the Olympic gold medal for winning the heavyweight championship. And, of course... Uh, he just sort of electrified the world and captured the hearts mainly of Americans when he waved that tiny American flag. And you and I sat there and we saw him and that crowd came to its feet that night. 
I mentioned a moment ago that uh, Tim Ryan was talking with Gene Fulmer and Jose Torres, and he is. Former middleweight champion Gene Fulmer. Uh, Gene, you're all the way uh, from Salt Lake City to see this fight, so you must have some opinion on it. Yes, I do have an opinion. Uh, of course, I'm uh, writing a story or two for Boxing Illustrated. Magazine, right, Boxing Illustrated, and so they brought me in to view it and give my comments, and I feel very strongly that Fraser's uh, going to win the fight, and if he doesn't, of course, I'm going to have to eat a lot of crow. Uh, but uh, I've had to do that before with Moan. Gene, there's some similarity in his style and yours as a middleweight. Did that uh, influence your uh, opinion? I try not to think that it did, but I'm sure that it must have because, uh, you know, uh, the better boxers feel that uh, Clay's going to win and, uh, and the slugger's more or less lean toward uh, Fraser. So I'm, I'm sure that there must be some influence uh, in this. Of course, in judging fights, which I've done some, and, and every other boxer I'm sure has been asked to do this sometime or another, uh, we kind of like what we thought we were and uh, kind of lean that way a little bit. So I'm sure this probably has some uh, part of influencing my uh, prediction on Fraser. Now, you uh, defeated Ray Robinson, uh, who was a classic boxer, of course, so there's a parallel there, too, for Joe Frazier. Uh, how did you beat him, and do you think that Joe used the same attack? Uh, yeah, I'm sure he will. I, I beat Robinson by putting pressure on him, which is the only way that a slugger can beat a boxer. If you stand back and try to box with him, they'll box your ears off. But if you move in and throw punches and keep covered up, and when you get in close, throw the throw the blows and move far enough away they're not going to hit you, uh, that's the only way you can do it. And like you say, I did beat Robinson. I beat him two or three times. But the second time, of course, he hit me with that one punch that turned the lights out. And I'm not discounting the fact that Clay can't do that to Fraser. I mean, Clay can punch sharp and he can punch hard and he can uh, knock you out with one punch. And he can, can do this. Uh, but I, I definitely feel that if this does happen, he'll be taking a beating up too in uh, that time. Thank you, Gene Fulmer. Former light heavyweight champion Jose Torres. And Jose, uh, how do you see this fight tonight? I said, reluctantly, I'm picking pressure, hoping that I'm wrong and that Ali wins the fight. Knockout or decision for Frazier? Oh, knockout. When? Uh, if, if, if Muhammad Ali goes over seven rounds, nobody can beat him. I think he'll be the winner. But if he, in other words, if he can take the pressure for the first seven rounds, he's going to be unbeatable. But I don't think he'll be able to take the pressure for the seven rounds. We'd like to remind you that portions of tonight's broadcast were taped prior to broadcast for release during this sports special. We now pause 10 seconds for station identification. Over this, the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is Charles King with Van Patrick. Van, the big moment may be near. Well, uh, Charles, after sundry introductions of former champions, the house at Madison Square Garden rose to give Joe Lewis a tremendous ovation. As you know, Joe has been very ill. He's been out in Denver, Colorado, convalescing. Cassius Clay resplendent in a red robe. He calls the king's robe, was the first to enter the ring to a mixed chorus of cheers and hoots and boos. Mohammed wore high white boxing shoes with several red tassels on each, and he stood in his corner, sort of jigging around, smiling at friends and winking. Then he put a savage frown on his face and pretended to be throwing lightning punches as his fans howled in delight. Frazier came in two minutes later, preceded by his armed bodyguard. Smoking Joe wore a short-length green robe tied with a yellow sash. Mohammed was cool and almost casual, 
laughing as Frazier was sweating heavily. And twice, Clay danced across the ring and bumped into Frazier, who glared at him. In round one, Clay took the first round as he outboxed Frazier and landed most of the punches. Clay landed the first seven blows, including two good left hooks, as Frazier tried to get inside. And when Joe landed one good body punch, Clay tied him up and then mugged to the crowd that he wasn't hurt. We are not at ringside. What you have just heard is a summary of round one as received from the wire services. You know, uh, Charles, physically, the advantages appear to lie with Cassius Clay. He's one of the largest men ever to reign as the heavyweight champion. Frazier is one of the smallest. The 29-year-old Clay is nearly four inches taller at six foot three, and he has a six and a half inch reach advantage at 80 inches and also is heavier. He weighed 215, and I believe, if memory serves me, that's about uh, a half a pound more than he has ever weighed uh, for a fight. As a matter of fact, Frazier came in, too, at 205, and he's heavier than he has ever been for a fight. Clay, admittedly, is faster, and his punching power, often underrated, can be testified to by his 25 knockouts in 31 consecutive victories. Frazier, whose biggest assets are his power, non-stop determination, and ability to weather the firestorm of the ring has 23 knockouts in 26 fights. I don't know, after watching uh, Frazier, he looks like sort of a, a motorized Rocky Marciano, if you remember how Rocky used to bore in from the I opening certainly bell. do. I think both of them are great as far as left hooks are concerned, because uh, Ali is fast with the old one-two left hook, which is better than most fighters. But Frazier, I gather most sports writers think, can give him credit for having power in each fist. But the left hook again does the most damage to anybody. And uh, he will duck in and out. But uh, did you see the Bonavino fight? Yes, I did. And as a matter of fact, uh, I was a little disappointed in Clay's performance in that. And uh, he he had to score the knockout in the 15th practically to win the right. fight. Well, he claimed, of course, that he just wasn't ready for it. I saw some pictures of him this week where he had a practically a big belly. And, you know, he just said he was not in shape. But he certainly is in shape for this one. You know, uh, Clay has never recognized Frazier as the heavyweight champion, and neither has the cult that has grown up around Clay. Clay was at the height of his ability in 1967 when he was stripped of the championship and banned from boxing for refusing to go into the Army. Of course, we remember him well, and I'm sure our listeners do too, because at that time we were broadcasting live and direct and covering all of the Clay fights, the heavyweight championship fights. But not until October 26, last year, after a lengthy court battle, was uh, Clay permitted to fight again, and he made his return in eloquent style, stopping Jerry Quarry in three rounds on December the 7th. He became the first man ever to stop the Vulcan gentleman from Argentina, Oscar Bonavina. Now let's uh, take a look at what happened, uh, Charles. Just as a reminder, we are not at ringside, and what you are hearing are summaries of preceding rounds. Ben? All right, and here's what uh, happened in round two at Madison Square Garden tonight. Cassius Clay did less dancing and more punching in the second round. And also, according to the reports on UPI, he also took that second round. At the end of it, he waved uh, at Frazier and motioned to the crowd that he didn't consider the champion very much. Clay landed most of the punches again in the second round. And that's how things stood at the end of round two. The two men, Frazier and Clay, are so different in their styles, both in and out of the ring... They were kept apart throughout preparations for the bout, avoiding any face-to-face -face confrontation 
until they were nose-to-nose in the center of the ring to hear their final instructions before the tolling of the bell tonight. Even the weigh-ins were held separately for the two. Frazier emerged from his secret headquarters where he was hidden away on Sunday after a threat on his life to weigh in first, and he was to be followed by Clay to the scales in the same 20-foot square where they are fighting tonight. And after threats were received that Frazier should lose or else, the 27-year-old champion's headquarters were shifted to another hotel here in New York, and the security force that has followed him throughout the last weeks of the growing drama was strengthened even more, and they even accompanied him down the aisleway tonight at Madison Square Garden. It has been an emotional confrontation since that day in January when the contracts were finally signed after three and one-half years of waiting. Both fighters are black, but Clay has called his opponent the White Hope and an Uncle Tom because Frazier more closely meets that ethic of white, middle-class America as the modest, soft-spoken boy who came out of the scratch-out and existing farmland of South Carolina to gain fame and money for fighting his way to the top. It's the story that Joe Lewis wrote the first chapter to a generation ago. Charles? Van, tonight this broadcast is being carried to the facilities of the American Armed Forces Radio Service to our men in uniform, Americans serving all over the world. And we pay tribute to the young <clears throat> and the young at heart Americans who represent and serve us in foreign lands. They are still Americans at heart. Gentlemen, we salute you. All right, Charles, here's what happened now in round three at Madison Square Garden. Frazier took the third round by a narrow margin, according to UPI, when there was a very slight trickle of blood from his left nostril. Frazier got inside more often in the third and landed several thumping blows to the body and to the head. The round ended with Frazier pummeling a covered-up Muhammad Ali in Ali's corner. What you are hearing is a summary of a wire service. We are not at ringside. What you are hearing are summaries of preceding rounds. Now that goes back, Van. <clears throat> uh, we were talking about the ability of each of those men before, the boxing ability and the best punches and so on. When it comes to infighting, they say Ali wants no part of it. Well, I tell you, you know, most of the fellows who were picking the fight tonight were pointing out uh, that if it went 15 <clears throat> rounds, then Clay could possibly be the winner by a decision. But they figured that Frazier had to catch him early. And Frazier, after having a little trouble, evidently, in the early stages, is now coming on a little bit at Madison Square Garden in that uh, fight tonight. It's an amazing thing. Like, you go back to the Bonavina days. Frazier had two tough fights with Bonavina. And he didn't look too good in either one. He won, but the point is that Bonavina... Do you think he's an underrated fighter? Do you think that, that if there wasn't a... Uh, uh, a Fraser or a Muhammad Ali that, that uh, Bonavino might well be the number one? I don't think so. He's sort of a crude uh, type fighter who's just tough and absorbs uh, a lot of punch, but he's sort of the George Chavallo type of fighter who's rugged and almost indestructible. But you know, uh, Clay, they say he's uh, not a devastating hitter and that he always scored his knockouts apart from the phantom punch of the second Liston fight. And I'll never forget that one. We were in uh, <laughs> Lewiston, Maine, to broadcast uh -huh. that fight. And uh, uh, Russ Hodges, I believe, was with us on the uh, broadcast, and Bill Stern. And uh, I happened to look away for a second, and, of course, I missed the knockout punch. But I discovered later that uh, 
Many other people who were gazing intently at the center of the ring also missed the knockout punch. They still call it the phantom punch. Nobody seems to have seen it, but obviously somebody must have felt it. You know, Allie has a strong chin. Uh, as many of the... Tell me, we are talking before. Let's go back to Foreman for a moment. Uh, how do you rate... You personally rate George Foreman versus the... Uh, the two top men we have fighting tonight. Well, I think the best way to uh, talk about Foreman is the fact, uh, Charles, that he is not ready yet. And I think that his uh, manager, Sadler, is doing an exceptional job in bringing him along slowly. And uh, I know that they'll be clamoring now for a Foreman winner of this fight tonight between uh, Frazier and Clay. But I believe that the youngster uh, Foreman is still at least one more year away. And I uh, certainly hope that they'll keep him out of there at least for another year. You don't think that he's about ready? No, I really don't. I mean, we've watched him now in about three fights as a professional. Mm -hmm. And I just don't feel he's ready. He's a big, strong kid, and he's still growing. He can punch with either hand, and he has speed. But I just don't think he has the, the ring knowledge, the, the savvy that he needs now to fight a Clay or a Frazier. There's some discussion now about whether Frazier will win or lose stay in the boxing game. Well, you know, you always hear that. Uh, fighters retire more than Sarah Bernhardt, as you know. <laughs> they they retire until they run out of money, and then they're right back fighting again. Now, what, you, how many times do you hear Clay say, oh, yeah. I'll never fight again? I mean, even before he was suspended, he, uh, he said he would never fight again, but he still fights. While we're waiting for more news from our wire services, why don't we pause 10 seconds for station identification? Over this, the Mutual Broadcasting System. This is Van Patrick, along with Charles King in the Mutual Network Studios in New York. And now let's uh, take a look at what happened in round four at Madison Square Garden, which is now past history. Frazier also took the fourth round, and now he was getting inside and staying inside. Frazier landed three hard left hooks in the last minute of the round, while most of Clay's shots in the session bounced off Joe's head. In his corner, after the fourth round, Clay, seemingly, according to the reports, was very solid. What you just heard was a summary of the last round. We are not at ringside. The reports are received from the wire services. And that's how things stood at the end of round four. Say, Mr. Motorist, have you discovered that the North Star can be your guide to greater motoring economy and pleasure? You know, they've talked so much in the build-up of this fight uh, tonight about how strong Cassius Clay is. He's one of the biggest heavyweight champions of all time. Now, he is strong, but so is Joe Frazier. And no amount of bluster is likely to deter Smoking Joe, who is a raging, bobbing, weaving, rolling swarmer who moves in one basic direction right at his opponent's stomach. And he loves that left hook. His short arms pump like pistons, pumping away with such mechanical precision that he consistently throws between 54 and 58 punches each round. He works almost exclusively inside, crouching, moving in to slam the body. And when the pumbling begins to slow his opponent, when the guard drops to protect that midsection, Frazier then goes to that left hook. And uh, I saw him fight Bob Foster in Detroit. And Foster just didn't have any recollection of what hit him when Frazier unloaded. Frazier is a lot faster than uh, most people give him credit for being. And his trainer has been showing him films uh, all during his training session, not of Cassius Clay, but believe it or not, of Henry Armstrong. 
and some of the other welterweights and middleweights and fighters who move fast and teaching him how to move with them and cut him off at the pass, so to speak. And that's what he's trying to do tonight to Cassius Clay at Madison Square Garden. A great fight in progress. I think boxing has come back. I, I think this network actually had a lot to do with it, Van, and the, the STP Fight of the Month, with which we started last year. But it, it's good to see boxing back. I can remember as a youngster, we used to see the boxing matches in, in the uh, hometown, and there were uh, the youngsters were coming up, and boxing was something. It changed over the years. I'd like to remind you we are not at ringside, and what you will hear is a summary of round five coming up as we see from the wire services. And in round five, Clay took the fifth round when he went back to long-range boxing and bounced lefts and rights off the head of the oncoming Frazier. At one point, Frazier dropped both hands and came in bobbing and weaving and laughing at Clay, daring him to punch him. <laughs> well, could get a little dangerous around Madison Square Garden if that happens. I got one with four doors and eight cylinders and a rear view mirror. Maybe your car runs like a lemon. And maybe what you've got is a dirty carburetor. Because that's all it can take to make your engine run rough and lose power. But there is a solution. It's at your service station right now. New improved STP gasoline treatment. Now it cleans carburetors better. Even cleans spark plugs better. Actually helps keep your car in tune as you drive. And a better tuned engine is a better running engine. New, improved STP gasoline treatment. Add a can next time you fill up. That STP gas treatment's really something. They ought to call it lemonade. <laughs> New, improved STP gasoline treatment. You'll feel the difference. Charles, I thought Time Magazine uh, this week did an excellent story on this fight, and uh, they talked about Joe Frazier being the second youngest of 13 children. He was raised in a four-room shack on a farm outside Beaufort, South Carolina. And on the day he was born, his father prophesied that little Joe would be his famous son. And when Joe was old enough to tend the hogs and plant the okra on the family's ten acres, he stuffed a feed bag with rags, hung it from an oak tree, and began punching away. You're going to laugh, he kept telling his brothers and sisters, but I'm going to be the next Joe Lewis. Frazier's mother was a real church-going lady who taught him respectfulness but he began questioning things that black kids were not supposed to question. Nicknamed Billy, supposedly, because he could hit like a billy club, he was soon getting into scrapes with the man. And so Joe got a little fighting in his early stages. Now Cassius Clay, as I'm sure almost everybody in America who can read or listen, figures that uh, they know just about as much about Clay as we do. He hung around Louisville long enough to graduate, 376th in a high school class of 391, then he flew to Rome for the 1960 Olympics, won a gold medal as a 178-pound light heavyweight, and returned home to a reception that crippled the town. And so Clay, you know, was handled in his early stages by a group of Louisville businessmen, but he finally broke with them and went out uh, with Angelo Dundee and was going great till he got into trouble with the United States Army. You know, uh, Clay was as you know and as I know, very much underrated when he first went into the ring. In fact, when he won the world title 1964 by dethroning Sonny Liston, 
He was an 8-to-1 underdog. And tonight, the odds were pretty close as far as his fight against Fraser's concerned. I read something cute about Fraser some time ago. He took a day off, but he suddenly awakened at 2 a.m., was very edgy. <clears throat> he awakened his sparring partners, made them go outside for road work. He usually does this at 6 o'clock in the morning, but he says, when I run man, everybody runs. We are not at ringside, and what you now will hear is a summary of round six as received from the wire services. Well, Cassius Clay, using his left jab, often like a long spear, had the edge in the sixth round. Frazier kept boring in, taking shots on his head in order to pound body blows that did not seem to upset Cassius Clay. That's the way round six went at Madison Square Garden. As I told you before, when Frazier says, when I run, everybody runs, I imagine, and I've stood next to this man, if he looked at me and said run, I think I'd be running a darn good mile, even if I, I couldn't move getting, you know, in or out of the ring. Uh, you've talked with him many times. What's your personal impression of Joe Frazier? Well, you know, Joe uh, finds his peace in cars and music. He lives in Philadelphia, has about a $125,000 home in suburban uh, Philadelphia, and he has a six-car garage, and he has six cars. And he probably, if he wins tonight, will pick up a couple more and park them out in the street. In addition to the cars, he has a motorcycle that he guns down the country roads at speeds of up to 100 miles an hour. Now, he is handled by a group that formed a corporation called Cloverley. And uh, they are handling his affairs. And as you pointed out earlier tonight, Joe actually will come out of this fight tonight with more money uh, to him than Clay will receive by something like $200,000 the way they have it figured out. Now, you asked me about uh, Frazier. You know, when you talk to him, he doesn't want to talk to you about uh, fights. He wants to talk to you about his music. And he's got a, a sort of a bluesy rock and roll band called The Knockouts. And he sees the music as his future. He figures that uh, with the music, he'll be able to spend a little more time at home and or take his family around with him and not go into the heavy training. And he opened his act, if you recall, out in Las Vegas a year or so ago and, yeah. and suffered a broken ankle out there. But he got so carried away by the, by the rock band that backed him up. Well, he's no better or no worse than some of the singers I've heard recently on, on various radio stations and on some of the records which my children play on. You said that. that about Frazier. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I said no better or no worse. Now, this doesn't mean he isn't the greatest or he isn't the worst, but uh, what I've heard him sing, I've understood the lyrics, and that's something. That is. It that's really half is. of it right there and then. I'll tell you. Well, there's no question about it. If he can win this fight tonight uh, uh, here in New York, he, he will be a big drawing card on the nightclub circuit, and he can pick up a lot of money, but I don't think he'll ever see a payday again like the the one he's receiving tonight. It's almost unbelievable when you stop to think that promoters would put up a total of $5 million, top money, put it in escrow, uh, and give each fighter $2.5 million. Uh, we were talking about it in the studio earlier today, and I said, you know, probably they could have got away if they'd offered maybe a $1 million mm -hmm. to each fighter. But that uh, ruled out a lot of promoters. <laughs> $2.5 million per man. But, of course, there are a lot of cuts out of that, too. A lot of people are being, or have to be paid... Uh, I guess a lot of it's written off, but you still walk away with a million out of two and a half. It's not bad. No, that's true. That's not bad. I mean, it's, that's a great payday, and the greatest sports payday in history. If Muhammad Ali wins tonight, Van, what do you think the future holds for him, excluding the uh, the review in the Supreme Court? Well, uh, that, of course, will be his prime concern, and uh, he will give you the impression that he's not too concerned about what the courts will do. 
But uh, I just don't believe that. We spent a lot of time with Clay when we were broadcasting the heavyweight championship fights uh, live. You know, it's an interesting thing about uh, Cassius, and I still call him that because I don't recall anywhere he legally has changed that name, but maybe he has. But, you know, when you talk to him individually, he's a very exciting young man. But if one other person shows up, he's on stage. At the weigh-in today, he put on a show uh, that you likes of which you've never seen. And he screamed and yelled uh, all during the weigh-in today. I'd like to remind you we are not at ringside. And what you hear during the round summaries is a summary of the rounds as received from the wire services. You know, I talked with uh, Cassius Clay's wife today. She was having lunch at uh, Took Shores, and uh, Gene Allenick, Wick, and I were at the next table. And uh, I started to walk by her. We had a tape recorder with us, by the way, and we were interviewing uh, some of the folks there. And uh, there happened to be a young man with them who uh, recognized the old announcer and spoke to me. And uh, I said, you, you know, uh, Mrs. Clay, I'm not going to ask uh, for your comment on the fight tonight. And she says, well, I know only two words about fighting. No comment. <laughs> Reminder, we are not at ringside. What you will now hear is a summary of round seven as received from the wire services. Clay's boxing skill and reach kept him in charge in the seventh round. Once again, he finished the session with a contemptuous wave toward Joe's corner. Near the end of the round, Frazier backed Clay into a corner, and he pummeled him in the body, landed two shots to the head, while Clay contented himself with jabs. Both times, Clay shook his head, and I imagine that would indicate that he wasn't hurt. And that's how things stood at the end of round seven. Cassius Clay did his training at uh, Miami Beach, and if you've ever seen a Clay fight or watched them on television, there's one fellow in the corner that makes a lot of noise and puts on quite a show, and that's uh, Bundini. He and Clay fell out one time, but they got together again. He's the corner man, the personal mystic, who calls him the blessing of the planet, a handler whose sole job is to sort of comb uh, Clay's hair. But he's been with him now, off and on, since the beginning of Cassius Clay. He was warned by the boxing commissioner not to make too much noise uh, at ringside tonight, but I don't imagine, although you and I are in the studio and not at Madison Square Garden, I would imagine that Bo Dini is making a lot of noise tonight as he yells for Clay to hammer away at Joe Frazier. Well, the fight... Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's been a surprise so far. It's been a little bit of what I might have expected in the fact that it sort of seesawed a little bit. And when the fighter fights his type of fight, when Clay jabs and stays away and moves, he's the Cassius Clay. And when Frazier moves in and is able to catch up with Clay, well, then he's Joe Frazier. So I have not uh, I've been surprised so far. Have you? I have not at all. And I'm waiting now for the summary of the next round to remind you that we are not at ringside. And now what you will hear is a summary of round eight as received from the wire services. Well, in round eight, Frazier pressed the attack and took the eighth round, part of which Clay devoted to clowning, which is surprising. Twice, Clay stood along the ropes and playfully pushed away Frazier's hands in sort of patty-cake fashion. When the referee broke them and told them to fight, Clay told Frazier to come on in. Frazier landed most of the blows. Spring, that time of year when most men head their cars in for a tuna. New point, new plus, a fresh supply of motor oil. And then, of course, there's always that extra edge. STB Oil Freeman. 
Clay evidently, uh, after eight rounds, uh, looks in better shape and has gotten himself into condition. He had a three-year layoff, as you know, and that is uh, no question. That would take a lot out of a young man. And uh, Clay, in the first uh, two fights that he had, uh, the one against Jerry Quarry and the one against Oscar Bonavina, did, did, did not look like the Cassius Clay of old. And for him to win this fight tonight, it would seem to me that he'd have to be in much better shape. And uh, one thing that he'll have to be able to do better, and that is to move backwards, and uh, because he's got to stay away from Joe Frazier. Now, can Clay, slowed but still the swiftest heavyweight around, dance out of destruction's way? Can he utilize his superior reach to stave off the bull-like onslaught of his attacker, Joe Frazier? And can he wear down the relentless machine that is Joe Frazier? Conversely, can Clay, who is able to hit sharply with either hand, outgun Frazier, who is more of a one-arm fighter, and can, in short, the boxer beat the slugger? And that's exactly what we've been having now, uh, Charles, for eight rounds. I guess so. You know, surprisingly, uh, you say Madison Square Garden, and that, that is synonymous with, with great fights. Uh, surprisingly, the first heavyweight championship fight in Madison Square Garden was held in 1916 on March 25th. And that was when Jess Willard won over a uh, they won over one Frank Moran, and that was even before your time, Van, which is saying something. <laughs> I know it's before Frank Miller's. Some of the great fights, some of the great moments, the old Madison Square Garden. Why don't you recall? Which is now something. Well, I recall some of them. You saw some of them. I uh, didn't see that many. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I like the old Madison Square Garden. Tell me the difference. What do you think the difference is in today's Madison Square versus the old uh, arena? Which well, is right down the street from us here. I like, uh, I like the new Madison Square Garden. I think it's a beautiful <coughs> arena. And, of course, as you say, it's the shrine of uh, boxing and also now for other sporting events because the New York Rangers play there, the New York Knickerbockers, and also they hold uh, college games there and many other events, the circus. But uh, it's just a, a great building. And I think when you visit New York, if you get the opportunity, you should go have a look at Madison Square Garden. You know, funny thing about it, but the old building, you know, all you had to do was walk in the door and you could just hear the memories uh, whispering right. around in the wind in the corners, the crevices of that building. I'd like to whisper something now out loud. We are not at ringside. And what you are hearing during these rounds is a summary of rounds as received from the wire services. Ma'am? Well, you know, uh, four of the most uh, trumpeted fights of the 1960s were the two Liston-Floyd-Patterson matches and the two Liston-Clay bouts. And actually, they sort of added up to a farce in about four acts. And uh, Cassius Clay, in the fight in Miami when he won the heavyweight championship, the round before he won the title from Sonny Liston, he was screaming in his corner that he could not see, that he'd been blinded by some... Uh, solution on the gloves of Sonny Liston, and he actually wanted to quit, but uh, he came back for the next round, and then uh, Liston uh, suffered the injured shoulder, and the fight was stopped. We are not at ringside, but what you will hear now is a summary of round nine, as received from the wire services. You know, the mood of the crowd seemed to change before the ninth round began, and they were chanting, Joe, Joe, for Frazier. Clay threw light punches as the round started. But he then landed with jabs to Frazier's face, and blood trickled from the champion's nose. But the action was noticeably slower for a while, and then picked up with Frazier scoring. <clears throat> Although they do not tell us 
the voting on the round, uh, how they thought the round went as to who was the winner. But at least that's how things stood at the end of round nine. The Cassius Clay that Frazier is fighting tonight at Madison Square Garden is a different kind of fighter from the man who took Liston's heavyweight title away in 1964 that we were talking about a moment ago. Then he was calling himself Cassius Clay, and the slogan of his training camp, if you recall, was float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. But at Miami Beach's Fifth Street Gym, the byword is he moves like silk, hits like a tongue. And for good reason, Cassius no longer has that lean and hungry look. After three and a half years of exile, he returned to the ring four months ago to dispatch California's Jerry Quarry with a third-round technical knockout. In defeating Quarry, Clade showed that he still had the lightning combinations and the darting moves. But there were two marked differences in his attack. He was a shade slower and a lot stronger. And that strength actually may turn out to be before this night is over. Well, these, are, made the difference. these are really a couple of young guys as far as this fight game is concerned. You want to remember, uh, Jersey Joe Walcott was 37 years old. The oldest man ever to win the heavyweight crown. And some say he was even older, but wouldn't admit to it. What do you think? Well, I believe he was older. <laughs> just like Cassius Clay. Yeah. Uh, he, he talks a lot about step and fetch it. And he says he's the youngest 90-year-old that he knows. Uh -huh. But uh, another old fellow is uh, Satchel Page, who was the baseball pitcher. I think he was around 54 or 55 when he came up to the major leagues. And Bill Veck used to tell a story about him. They'd ask him about Satchel Page. And he's the man who brought him to the major leagues. And he said uh, at banquets, they would ask him, Bill, how old actually is Satchel Page? And he would answer, I don't know, but he was freed by Lincoln. <laughs> what you are hearing is a summary of preceding rounds. We are not at ringside. And now here is a summary of round 10. In the 10th round, Clay and Frazier fought on even terms. Frazier landing several powerful hooks to the head, Clay countering with lefts and rights to the head. Frazier had a slight swelling over his right eye, and at one point, referee Mercanti broke them at close quarters, and Frazier stepped away. I imagine that he was complaining uh, about the referee's action. That was a summary of round 10. From the switchboard, we learned that uh, a lot of boxing fans are complaining because... Uh, We've been calling uh, Muhammad Ali Cassius Clay and Cassius Clay Muhammad Ali. Well, he actually has two names. His God-given name was Cassius Clay. His uh, Muslim name is Muhammad Ali. He prefers to be called uh, Muhammad Ali. But as I mentioned a little while ago, I don't recall it legally being changed. Maybe it was. But uh, also, uh, we are reading these reports from uh, UPI, from AP, and from Reuters. And it's a funny thing. In the uh, round summaries, they will call him uh, Muhammad Ali in uh, one sentence, and the next one it will be Cassius Clay. So why don't we just call him Muhammad Ali for a while? We'll do that, and I think everybody will be happy. At least to give the girl on the switchboards uh, rest, <laughs> won't it? Poor little Connie. <laughs> We're talking about old men who are winning uh, fights and young men. Floyd Patterson, I'd like to talk about him for a moment, if you will. 21 years, 10 months, 26 days, which is pretty close to 22 when he won the crown. Now, you and I were at ringside, and we saw Floyd Patterson not too long ago in Miami when he uh, fought the, the bellboy from the Fontainebleau, I think yeah, it Levi was. Levi Forty. Levi Forty. He was back tending bell the next day. That's right, and he <laughs> uh, dripping orange juice all over the carpets. Uh, Floyd Patterson, is he going to come back and make any showing at all, Van? 
Uh, here again, uh, we have a situation where uh, Patterson may be past his prime, too, as far as fighting a man like uh, like Clay or Frazier. Uh, Floyd has money. He's well fixed. Uh, why he continues to fight, I don't know. He's a perfect gentleman, a, a great uh, credit uh, to boxing. But he says, as he told us in Miami, that boxing's in my blood. It's the one thing I know. It's the one thing that I want to continue doing. But uh, I, I, do, I just honestly, uh, Chuck, I don't believe that uh, Frazier could beat, uh, I mean, that Patterson could beat Frazier or Muhammad Ali. I think that uh, Floyd Patterson looked good the night we saw him in Miami, but I think he'd look good against Frank Miller that night. For well, yeah, but you know, I think the fight that he will actually have will be against George Foreman. I think I think that'll be the next fight for Floyd Patterson, that'll be a good fight. It'll be a good test, too, for Foreman. also be a good test for Patterson. like to remind you, we are not at ringside, and what you are hearing are summaries of preceding rounds. And here now is Van Patrick with a summary of round 11. And interesting indeed. Frazier staggered. Muhammad Ali with a thundering left hook after two minutes of the 11th round, and Muhammad almost went down. He spun into the ropes, and then on rubbery legs, managed to elude Frazier for the rest of the round. In the first minute of the round, Clay went down, but that was a slip, uh, some water in Frazier's corner, and was not counted as a knockdown. And that's how things stood at the end of round 11. You know, I was just wondering, uh, Chuck, uh, the fact that uh, Frazier caught Clay, and I was just going back now, reminiscing about that great fight between uh, Joe Lewis and Billy Kahn. You remember that? Yes, I do. And Billy Kahn was leading on points. He had the fight won. It was the 13th round. And then I guess Billy decided, well, I'll just put an end to the myth of Joe Lewis, and I'll knock him out. Mm -hmm. You think maybe that might have happened down there in round 11? Well, that was just one of those things. That was one of the great fights. In fact, I think that surprised Joe Lewis as much as surprised anybody in the world, you know, the invincible. But, you know, the, the, the mighty must fall. What are you talking about, Joe Lewis? Why do you think he never did come back, never could come back? Because he waited too long? Or yeah, I think he waited too long. I, I really do. I, I remember that fight, too, with Rocky Marciano when Marciano knocked him out. And Marciano actually cried that night because Joe Lewis was his idol. Joe is a very good friend of mine. Uh, we played golf together. I spent a lot of time with him. And as you know, on many of our heavyweight fight broadcasts over many of these mutual stations, uh, Joe was at ringside with us. I used to ask him, uh, I said, uh, could you beat Muhammad Ali? Could you whip him? He said, I could if I could catch him. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> which, said, which you can't him. hide. Yeah, right? that's you can right. run, that's, but you can't hide. That's right. That's what he said about Billy Kahn. Yeah. You remember, he says he may be able to run, but he can't hide. What about Rocky Marciano? Well, you know, I've been spending the last uh, week covering Major League Baseball spring training in Florida. And uh, the other day I passed uh, Rocky Marciano's home in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It almost makes you want to cry because here was one of the great heavyweight champions of all time. Undefeated, Rocky Marciano, who lost his life in that plane crash out in Iowa. To repeat, we are not at ringside, and what you are hearing are summaries of preceding rounds. And here's Van with round 12. And interesting indeed again. Frazier staggered Ali again early in the 12th round with two left hooks. But Ali, though dazed, fought back with jabs during the rest of the round. Frazier won the round by a wide margin. Frazier had a slight cut inside his mouth, but he was the one landing the solid punches. The end of round 12. Promoters of this fight uh, tonight, they've been, they started off talking about in terms that this fight might gross at $50 million. You heard Bob Considine a little earlier in this broadcast say that 
20 million might be a little closer now, and there are some who say, and we talked to some officials today, that it might gross far less than that, simply because there just aren't enough seats available in the theaters and the stadiums around the country that they're utilizing to show this fight on closed-circuit television, or perhaps it's not that much money around to... Uh, to sell out all the seats across the country. You heard Dick Buller report in Detroit. They were sold out there. They're certainly sold out here in New York. But uh, over in Europe, they were counting on a lot of seats being sold. But you got to remember, there's, what, six hours difference in time? Or what is it, 6 o'clock over there now, 5.30 mm -hmm. in the morning? Right. Who's up watching that fight in the theater? That's very true. Uh, Too bad we don't make a call to one of those pubs over there and find out what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> Having been to London, I assure you, the pubs are not open this time of morning. If they were, Frank Miller would have been in them. <laughs> one of the uh, things, they could have had two Madison Square Gardens tonight, of course, because those tickets sold out in about three hours. Not the great, great big ones. I don't know what happened to those. That'll be another story, but most of the seats went. You know, some of the most unhappy people in the world, uh, Chuck, are the little fight promoters. The fellows across, across the country who have tried to keep the fight game alive. They have struggled. Uh, they have lost money repeatedly. But, you know, ironically, uh, they were not given much of an opportunity to show this fight in their arenas and uh, the theaters. Uh, it's sort of a show business type uh, operation with this one. And they were not given the opportunity in most of them. We'd like to remind you again that we are not at ringside tonight. We are bringing you 50-word summaries after each round as soon as possible after they are received from the wire services. I'm looking forward to that 12th round, too, I'll tell you that. Should be a good one. Uh, do you think that either man or any man will ever see a $2.5 million gate again? I mean, perhaps. Well, now the promoters, the promoters of this fight, uh, as I understand it, at least they have been quoted as saying, that they have the contract for the return bout. And uh, they hope that the fight will gross even more. But it, I doubt it. As a matter of fact, when the final accounting is made of this fight, I'm going to make a prediction for you, Chuck. I believe they're going to lose money. I really do. On the overall thing. On the overall. Well, we're continuing with our summary reports. We are not at ringside. And what you are now about to hear will be a summary of round 13. Round 13. Frazier won the 13th round by a solid margin. Shaking off Ali's long punches, crowding him into corners. Frazier took a few punches to the head, landed solid shots to the body, and once snapped Ali's head back with a left hook. There was no bounce in Ali's legs as the bell clanged. We have had many phone calls, complaints coming in, asking how many rounds each fighter has won. We'd like to advise you that under the order of the court, we are allowed to give only 50-word summaries between rounds and must stick just to that summary from the Associated Press, Reuters, or United Press International. Now, let we me cannot give this. you any other information. And let me say this, Chuck. Following the, the fight. The people right there don't know because the judges and the referee keep their voting uh, a secret. The people watching at Madison Square Garden have no idea of what the voting is. Of course, they are watching it and they can make up their own mind, and the writers covering it uh, can make uh, make up their decisions, but they don't mean a thing. It's the judges, the two judges and the referee in New York State who will make that decision, and they will not give that decision until the fight is over. If the fight goes 15 rounds, it looks like now it's well on its way to going uh, 15 rounds, 
But they don't know either, so I don't know how anybody could be complaining. Well, since we are restricted in our coverage, we give you the information we can under the order of the court. We'd like to remind you, however, that directly following the broadcast tonight, we are going to have a big roundtable, and you're going to find out exactly what happened and why. And Don Crickey and Van Patrick, Bob Considine, and a group are going to come over and sit around and give us a first-hand opinion and a first-hand report on everything that happened. It should be one of the best post-fight broadcasts, Van, we've ever had, because everybody, I think, will be waiting to, to try to find out what happened and why it happened. And that's, I think, I, I like critiques sometimes a lot more than I do the actuals. I just soon sit back and hear somebody do a commentary. Not that I, uh, I guess I do. I want to find out what happened. Not, I want to see if it, if it agreed with, with what I saw or what I heard. You know, that's a funny thing, too, you know, talking about what you saw. And there, there again, you go, if you're watching the fight, you can be nine rounds off in your, uh, in your picking of the fight. I mean, of how you scored that round uh, in uh, relation to the judges' scoring of a round or the referees' scoring. As a matter of fact, the judges themselves are way apart sometimes. But in New York State, in the New York Boxing Commission, under Commissioner Dooley, uh, has some very fine officials and they do an outstanding job in this state. Well, did you ever go to a fight in your life when the thing was over with that you didn't hear some people applaud and some people boo? No, I've never been to any sporting event. That's right, because a lot of people see things differently from where they are. And that's why they have referees, and that's why they have judges right up front. And horse races. We were talking about great fighters before. If I were to ask you, Van Patrick, who is the greatest fighter you've ever seen, or based on the record book, which I know you know very well, Who's the greatest fighter of all time? Who would it be? Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis. Great, abs- no, no way out of it. Well, I didn't see uh, some of those fellas that you watched, uh, Jack Johnson and uh, Bob Fitzsimmons and some of those uh, those fellas, but uh, I did see uh, Joe Lewis, and I saw a lot of his fights, and actually, he's the greatest fighter. Are they bartenders up in Pleasantville? Is that <laughs> <laughs> Their name sounded familiar for a moment or two. <laughs> no, but he actually is, and he's one of the greatest human beings, too, that I've ever met. He's been ill lately. Right. Uh, as uh, a lot of people know, he's been in the psychiatric hospital. and uh, But, you know, you talk to him, and he's at the fight tonight. He's at ringside. Mm-hmm. And I saw him just recently. And they held a big uh, dinner for him in Detroit just a couple of months ago, and Bill Cosby was the MC, and they raised a lot of money for Joe Lewis. But, you know, uh, you just wonder uh, how much money Lewis could have made today had he been fighting. In round 14... Muhammad Ali had the edge in the 14th round, landing punches off the top of Frazier's head as Frazier took punches in an effort to get inside and land a big wallet. Joe had a slight cut alongside his right eye. Frazier also had a swelling above his left eye. We've got one more round to go at Madison Square Garden. And that's how things stood at the end of round 14. We've got one more round to go at Madison Square Garden, and... uh, Chuck and I sit here in the studios in New York, in the Mutual Network Studios, where it's 29 degrees outside and a few snow flurries. And, you know, I'm just about as excited as those folks who are at ringside now wondering what's going to happen because it does look like the fight's going to go 15 rounds. And uh, just judging by what we've been able to uh, get from our wire service reports, uh, I'm just glad I'm not one of the judges. That's right. And when we conclude after the 15th round, if it goes the full 15 without a TKO or a knockout in the 15th, we then, Van and I, will go back and sift through those round-by-round reports again and then bring you up to date on exactly what happened and how it happened. 
And then at the Stadler Hilton Hotel in New York City, mutual microphones are there, and Bob Considine, Don Crickey, and many of the celebrities of the sports world are coming to the mutual microphone. And in our post-show, we'll go over with you in critique form, in practically blow-by-blow after the fact, what happened, at least as they saw it. be very interesting tonight, regardless of how this comes out, man, to take a man like Don Crickey and also Bob Considine, and when they tell us, Tim Ryan, too, let them, from their vantage point, I'll bet there'll even be a, a difference in what they have to report. Talking about reports before about how some people see one thing and some people see another. Well, you know, and uh, if this fight ends in a decision, and it uh, it appears now that it might, <laughs> what a rematch they're going to have. And you asked me a while ago if I thought they would ever have uh, a gate to rival this one, and it's possible that it could. It's according to what type of fight the two uh, had tonight, and uh, I'm sure that there'll be a rematch regardless. I don't think either fighter, although they've said that uh, this may be their last fight, they've got enough money now after this one, they'll retire but you can almost be certain they'll fight again, especially for paydays like this. Do you think there are any other two fighters around today in the heavyweight class who could command this type of gait as these two? Answer that after I tell you, Van, and remind everyone again that we are not at ringside. There, I don't are there think any there other are... two? Oh, no. There, there's a shortage of fighters, as you know, and uh, they're just fortunate, they, the promoters, to have two men like Clay and Frazier. And here it is. Joe Frazier outpointed Muhammad Ali tonight and retained the heavyweight championship of the world. The last round started with Ali going for Frazier's head with lefts and rights. Frazier dropped Ali with a left hook to the jaw. Ali got up at the count of four but had to take the mandatory eight count. Frazier went after Ali with rights and lefts and Ali wobbled to the ropes. Ali was shook by a hard left hook to the jaw and he hung on desperately. And Ali's right jaw was swollen, and the right side of his face had ballooned. His jaw may have been broken. Frazier pounded away at the swollen jaw. Ali was staggered as the fight ended a very big round for Frazier, and Joe Frazier has outpointed Muhammad Ali tonight and retained the heavyweight championship of the world at Madison Square Garden. We'll be back in a moment with a recap of that most exciting 15th round. Repeating, Joe Frazier outpointed Muhammad Ali tonight, retained the heavyweight championship of the world, and I think that 15th round bears repeating, Man, that was a beauty. The last round started with Muhammad Ali going for Frazier's head with lefts and rights. It could be that Clay figured maybe he had to score a knockout to win the fight. Frazier dropped Ali with a left hook to the jaw. Ali got up at the count of four, but he had to take the mandatory eight camp. Frazier went after Ali with rights and lefts, and Ali wobbled to the ropes. Ali was shook by a hard left hook to the jaw. He hung on desperately. Ali's right jaw was swollen, and the right side of his face had ballooned. His jaw may have been broken. Frazier pounded away at the swollen jaw, and Ali was staggered as the fight ended a big round for Frazier, and here's more. Here's more. It's a first loss as a pro for Ali, who was deposed as heavyweight champion for refusing army induction. Both he and Fraser went into the fight unbeaten. Fraser knocked Ali down in the 15th round for the only knockdown of the fight. And Ali was badly hurt in that round. He barely hung on to the finish, his face badly swollen. Fraser weighed in at 205 and one half pounds. Ali today, 215. Van? Joe Fraser buried a myth to remove the only stain on his world heavyweight crown. 
laying the ghost of Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, to rest with a vicious barrage of left hooks that smashed the challenger's jaw, dumped him to the canvas in the 15th round, and he took a unanimous 15-round decision at Madison Square Garden. And there we have the first report on how the judges voted. It'll be coming in on our UPR, AP, and Reuters, and we'll give you how the judges voted, how the referees scored the fight. But that 15th round must have been a dandy tonight for Joe Frazier, and he must be a happy young man tonight. We'd like... Go ahead. Excuse me, Van. I just want to remind our listeners, and no longer are we in the past tense as far as the presentation of the rounds are concerned. Any information coming into our newsroom from our mutual correspondents or from the wires of AP, UPI, or Reuters will be delivered to our desk, and you'll be given that news immediately as it happens. And we will continue in one minute. Chuck, you were just talking about the fact that uh, no champion has ever come back to win the heavyweight title, to recapture it, and the same thing happened tonight. Cassius Clay came back, but he did not win his heavyweight title back. We're sure that millions of Americans will share Mutual's gratitude to Andy Granatelli, president of STP, for his appreciation of the great public interest in this broadcast tonight and for helping to make it available to the public and to our armed forces overseas as our broadcast has been transmitted on the American Forces Network all over the world as well as being broadcast over some 600 radio stations in America. As you know, tonight's broadcast will continue with a special post-fight broadcast where we're going to hear a story and a great story from the mutual men in the field. Yes, let's go now to Don Creaky. Don, uh, can you hear me? Yes. All right, what about the fight? Well, Van, it was uh, very much a Joe Frazier night. There's no question that he was the winner, and I would have to uh, express a great deal of surprise, as did most of the 19,500 at the Garden, that referee Arthur Mercanti could score at 8-6-1 even. One judge had it 11-4. to four. But it's uh, one of the most remarkable things about Ali after the layoff is the amount of punishment he took. He uh, constantly was battered round after round, and those body punches with Bonavena thought would ultimately uh, prove the difference and bring his guard down and uh, ultimately result in a KO did not occur. Ali was able to sustain the attack from Frazier, and uh, at the end of the fight, Joe Frazier was uh, badly battered about the face. He'd taken the left hands from Ali. But I think uh, in the general summation of the fight, there's no question that Muhammad Ali uh, lost something in the three and a half years that he was away. He doesn't have the speed he had. But uh, it was a lot tougher fight when he got down close to Joe Frazier than appeared from a distance because Frazier was badly chopped up. Uh, Bob Considine of Mutual is also with us. And uh, Bob, uh, your observations. Well, it was one of the most unusual fights I've ever seen, uh, Don. I... There were long periods there where I, I wondered uh, whether it was might be questioned uh, later by the the New York State Athletic Commission and by uh, the people who paid uh, money for it all the way to Pakistan or someplace. Uh, but um, there's no question about the winner. I, I, Joe Fraser um, pressed the fight throughout. Uh, Ali um, uh, fought a strictly defensive fight. But uh, I must say, uh, as you just mentioned... Um, Joe was it was uh, pretty puffed up toward the end, and I'm not sure how he'll do with that. Uh, whether he'll be the bell at the ball at that thirty-dollar plate dinner here tonight, uh, wherever it is in New York, uh, um, if he shows. But he, he was the master tonight. Um, he had a he was uh, completely unimpressed by uh, uh, Muhammad Ali's uh, punching power and uh, 
and at one point in the fight just held his hands down and uh, invited uh, Mohammed to hit him. Uh, I've never thought uh, Clay, uh, as I insist on calling him, uh, ever had much of a punch, uh, really. Um, um, and I think that some, several of his fights were suspect, uh, notably one over Sonny Liston. Uh, however, um, I must give him credit. He fought back gamely tonight uh, when all seemed lost, and on several occasions he came out fresher after a bad beating in the previous round than he... And uh, even the fellow who had given him the beating, uh, it was as, as it turned out, it was it was a good fight, I thought, and um, and the uh, their return match will be announced at noon tomorrow. I understand. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think we're going to have one. There's no question. I think it was no interesting, question. Bob, that uh, you pointed out uh, certain areas of the fight were suspect. Uh, I think you almost had to expect Ali to come off the ropes. When he, uh, time and again, he was against the ropes, he put his hands on Frazier. He held for 10 rounds, really, and you, and you were always waiting for him to explode with a combination of punches, which really never came. Uh, he was hurt badly in the 11th round. I thought so. He buckled, uh, was wobbly towards the end of the round, but in the 12th round, he was remarkably uh, composed again. Yes, he was. Uh, he's a superb athlete, there's no question well, about he, it. Well, he's you... still, he's still a, a very good athlete, and he's, I thought he was in very good shape. Uh, Tonight he had the advantage of 10 pounds of weight and uh, what six inches of reach, and um, made uh, full use of him. But uh, what uh, what amazed me was um, that he would lean against the ropes and 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 give the most feeble punches back, and uh, and uh, yet be able to protect himself uh, for long periods in uh, three or four rounds there. And I wondered. I, I I've seen the. I've seen more savage fighting uh, around ropes. Um, it was only his only injury, uh, I would say. He's suffering from a very bad case of third third degree rope burns. It was rather docile around the ropes. There was uh, wasn't a great deal of infighting. I think uh, Ali is uh, has a remarkable ability of protecting himself. He had a, a four inch height advantage, six three to five eleven, oh. and I guess his reach advantage was somewhere in the neighborhood of eight inches or six and a half inches. Oh. There was nothing docile about that left hook um, in the 15th. Uh, and that, no, he went down hard, and he hit his head. I was amazed no. that he bounced up like he did, no. hopped up like a greyhound. But uh, the one thing about uh, Frazier is, is relentless pursuit, and I would think just from a standpoint of, of how he took the fight to L.A., he was fighting the whole time, Joe Frazier. There were times when he wasn't as effective as at others, but he was always throwing punches. Oh, he did. He seldom did. He did 80% of the fighting tonight. Um, and uh, I don't know uh, what the uh, the union rules are in in a peculiar arrangement of two and a half million dollars each, but uh, I think he deserves more money uh, uh, than uh, out of the five million pots that than uh, Muhammad Ali because uh, he did more work. Well, for two and a half million each, you can get Considine and Cricky in there tomorrow night. Uh, I, I would think it'd be a valid uh, rematch, and. Uh, and I must say that the promoters uh, share my thoughts on this. <laughs> Bob will be coming back to the Statler Hilton in downtown New York across the street from Madison Square Garden in a minute. It is a great uh, privilege for me to introduce Mohammed Ali, one of the greatest sportsmen, men known around the globe, also poet and a painter. But there is another dimension which Ali will explain. But Ali, before I give you the floor, may I give a chance to President of Correspondent Association to greet you. I don't want to waste any time. I, let me just say, Salam Alaikum and welcome to our minister. 
Mr. Ali, I'll be very, very brief. If there's one man in the world that needs no introduction, if there's one man in the world that needs no identification card to get anywhere, you surely must be that man. But in view of the fact that you're going to be very closely associated with the United Nations in the future, and I know that you have been in the past, it gives me great pleasure to give you a United Nations identification card which will get you into any United Nations installation worldwide. It is my pleasure. <laughs> He's trying to take my car. Yeah. He can give you my car. I hold my own car. <laughs> hold but my car. <laughs> can't help but this is the best car I can. I imagine some of you will have a few questions or two. I don't have too much to say. Would you like maybe to say something about your meeting? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Uh, Ali, you are going to referee a match in uh, Uganda before the debut. Uh, General Amin is going to be one of the contestants. How do you reconcile uh, your role there with your role here, where you're trying to support peace? Children International Year, in the light of what's been happening in Uganda? On the well, Jordan. I haven't accepted that offer to referee, I haven't accepted the offer to referee the match between Idi Amin and Antonio Noki. You're speaking of the Japanese wrestler who I've boxed about a year or two ago in Tokyo. He was, uh, for some reason, Idi Amin has a little talent in wrestling and he challenged uh, somebody to set the match up and they want me to referee I've made no public statements on it. I've only heard I know about as much as you do about this offer. But I just, I'm talking to people here at the United Nations, and I'm, I want to know how and what they think about it. I was offered to go to South Africa to do various things, and people protested, and I've been offered a lot of issues, things I could do that was controversial. And I have permission now from UN advisors and people here that anything that I do in a country like South Africa or in India means I can come to them for their expertise advice. So I'll make no moves until the United Nations is behind it and the people in the United Nations are I'm not going nowhere. So this offer to referee a match between Idi Amin and Antonio Noki and all they offered me one million dollars, uh, then uh, I will not take it if it's not in a agreement with the United Nations and the people here. So that's my answer on that. Mr. Lee, uh, the UN committee is working on the international convention to uh, to bar racism in sport. Uh, the past few weeks, you know, and, uh, since the uh, Montreal Olympics. This great issue of sport and politics have been at the forefront. Do you have any comment on this issue? Sports uh, and politics. Politics and sports. And I mean, there are some people who say that politics, uh, sports, politics should not be brought into sports. And that others who say that you cannot divorce 
supporting activities from politics. Well, I think one, one example of what you're talking about was a South African boxer who was in Miami looking for fighting because of South Africa's policies. And I understand various people and said that he shouldn't be allowed to box in this country. Then I would not take part. I would not uh, get involved in those issues. I would not give you an answer on that because uh, they have a saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And politics is in the eye of the beholder. And whatever reason, somebody might not want somebody to do something, they know more about why it shouldn't be done. So I can't say if they're right or wrong because it's not my problem, not my politics. So I wouldn't say nothing because if I say if I say I'm Democrat, then the Republicans don't like me. If I say I'm Democrat, then the Republicans... So I'd rather not see man named Catholic, Buddhism, Hinduism, Methodist, Protestant, Jehovah's Witness. Man named it. God never gave religion these names. And so names prejudice people. It's the names that keep people warring and politicking. And people are people, humans are humans. There's not one humanity. One blood is one color. All hearts the same color. Man gave it titles. So I don't get wrapped up in titles. And when you say politics and sports, you're talking about titles and certain type politics, and I just don't get involved because I love all people, and all people are God's people, and, and all people are my fans. So um, I have white South African fans, strange to say. So I don't want to take sides with nobody, so I won't say. I'll let you all and the United Nations and you politicians fight those battles. I'll just stay quiet because I'm on everybody's side. <laughs> As it about uh, Muslim, would you be prepared to go to Paris and use your influence with uh, Ayatollah Omeni to bring about some uh, peaceful relationship between the peoples of the troubled land in Iraq? I would be honored to uh, do something of that kind. Ben, you must realize a black man from America not that educated and became who became a great boxer and now I'm talking here at the United Nations and about world sources and you asking me a question like that is a great honor. So I never thought this would happen to me. I would be in the United Nations and people of your kind and your whatever you represent asking me these serious questions. So I would do it only if I could talk with somebody who's authority on the those two countries. And would it hurt anybody if I go, would any side use me uh, for something that's not right? And is the general Islamic world behind it or the United Nations period? So I wouldn't answer that question until I find the proper advisors to tell me to go or not go. Mr. President Boumidian in Algeria, do you have any information as who would be the next president? <laughs> I did not know. I did not know he was the president <laughs> until I was told that he died. I did not know he died until I got a call from Andy Young, representing President, to represent America, which is a great honor. 
So I, I know nothing about Algeria, and I never knew him, and I'm sure I don't know who the next one will be. I'll hear both questions from this side. Grave concern for the life of former Pakistani Prime Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto in the Islamic world and in the United Nations. Uh, his case, the appeal on his case, is still pending in the Pakistani courts. But do you feel there's any way that his life can be saved? Do you have any comments on the case? He's a Prime Minister Bhutto who is in jail now. You all have to have pity on me. You all have to know that this is really something. You ask me questions that you would ask the president of America. You ask me questions that you talk to a scholar on those nations. And I'm so honored if you think I'm that wise, but I'm not. <laughs> I don't know nothing. I never heard of the man you're talking about until I heard it. He's the one who was in Algeria. Something to something do, something do with uh, Iran. From where? Pakistan. Oh, I thought she said, there's a man in Iran in trouble, too. <laughs> <laughs> some, some religious leader. Ain't there a religious leader in Iran? There any debate or something? I thought she was talking about him. Uh, what you're telling me now is the first time I've ever heard of what you're saying. I know, I've never heard of the name of the man, and I don't know nothing about the problem. Every, I'm, I'm, it's Greek. Everything you're saying, I know nothing about it. And I will tell you something, I'll bet my life, as worldly as I am, and I never heard, and there's no American Harley in the black or white or whoever walking the streets that will know who you're talking about if you mention the man's name. They don't know him. You know him because you're wrapped up in your politics. But the ordinary person don't know the name you just mentioned because I don't know. So I couldn't answer that question. It's a little, a little too heavy for me. Fighting. Am I through with fighting? Well, I don't want to say right here I'm through with fighting because then that would mean I'm retired and the boxing authorities will take my title and vacate it before I retire. I am champion as of this moment and I'm determined to retire champion. I'm of all the great boxers, majority champions are black. None retired on top. They're all retired losers. And it's very important to my people in the world of my kind and all my fans, whoever they are, that I retired champion. And not only that, but retired three-time champion. And the business-wise, commercial-wise, endorsement, movies, traveling, things that I'm doing, my artwork, I'm painting for peace here, to lose a decision or to even fight another fight and look bad would destroy me. So business-wise, the worst thing I can do, it'll be a sin. The worst thing Muhammad Ali could do is to go back in the ring. That's the worst thing I could do. And at the age of 37, which for sports is pretty old, the ordinary heavyweight ever since boxing began some hundred years ago, the retiring age for heavyweight was 33 years old. I'm 37, and I'm lucky and thankful to Allah that I still I went out on top, defeated all my critics. Oh, man, so for the Islamic world, for the America, for the UN, for all that I'm talking about, for peace, for all I'm going to do, my image is so great. It, the worst thing I can do is blemish it. If they offer me $50 million tomorrow, 
I would turn it down because the hearts involved. See, people have heart attacks in the Muslim countries and African countries. They love me so much. Even when I, if I get hurt or if I should want to lose it, they'll feel bad. Some countries, they have Malaysia, Philippines. They actually have holidays. People in Algeria here too. People don't go to work on days that I fight to watch television. They take it so serious. It's a spiritual thing. So for me to lose, uh, to take a chance on looking bad, just to get some personal money and trade that for the hearts and the pulse and the souls of all the people who follow me, that would be the worst thing I can do. So I'm telling you now, I don't never plan to get the ring in, but I'm still the champion as of now until I announce my retirement, which will take place soon on national network television. We'll have a, something called the last 15 rounds. We'll show 15 rounds of my best fights, then I'll retire, and we'll let the other fighters go, and I'll go and be champion forever. I want to say another thing. Uh, I'm, I'm an artist. You all didn't know that I paint. My father's a sign painter. He's a commercial artist. And I draw pictures with uh, meanings and to tell stories. And I'm painting now for peace. And tonight, what are we, we going to be tonight? At the Roseland. At the Roseland. At or invite everybody at 9 o'clock at the Roseland. Where's the Roseland located? On West 52nd Street. On West 52nd Street. It's going to be uh, the largest opening art exhibition. This will be the largest artists. opening art exhibition <laughs> in the artists. It will be the greatest of all time. Uh, we have more questions on this side. As you know, that uh, one of the goals of sports is to promote uh, peace and friendship among nations of the world. And I don't mean to drag you again into politics, uh, what, as a Muslim, as, a, and, uh, and as both a Muslim and a peace lover, what is it in your opinion that has been making peace in the Middle East so impossible or almost impossible to come by? What's making peace so... Well, see, there are laws uh, and realities that Allah, God, laid down for man to follow. There are laws and realities, and these laws must be obeyed. There's a law called the law of gravity. You have to fear and respect gravity. What goes up comes down. There's a law that says if a meteorite should get out of orbit, it burns up. You see a flash across the sky. These laws are as fundamental for us to obey as they are the rest of the universe. Man is the only thing in nature that don't obey God's laws. So you suffer. If we were riding on a metro liner from here to Washington, D.C., and we were asleep, and we got up and we started walking like some people walking to sleep, and we walked over to the door, and we pushed the button, the door open, and we stepped off the train while I was running at 90 miles an hour. Now, you're under delusion. You may thank you at home. But that will not help you when you step out of the train. <laughs> Although you really think you're at home, the reality is you're not at home. You must obey. Now, and when you fall, and you'll probably kill yourself, even if you still keep your delusion, and the ground and the door of the train will not turn into the door of your house. Now, I'm saying something. I'm getting the point. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the point. Now, Allah laid down laws. And many of us in the Muslim faith don't follow. Uh, the uh, 
The spiritual people, spiritual don't follow them. We obey man's laws. You're in the United Nations now trying to solve the world's problems. We go to a president so trying to solve the world problem. We don't take the Holy Quran, the Bible, and say, what did God say on this? We try to solve them, and we are falling. There's more whores, more crime right in your city, around the United Nations, than it is you can't stop it. Right in Washington, there's more prostitutes, more crime in Washington, and the capital anywhere in the world, because man's laws can't solve it. Only when you start following all our God's laws, these problems will be solved. Now, all the reason you don't have no peace in the Middle East, I believe, is because neither side followed the laws of God. The people over there, I'm not saying nothing about who or where, but uh, when they come to this country, they're no longer Muslims. They seem to forget the way they pray, the way they dress, and and over there they're so straight and so righteous, and when they come here, uh, those are money, you don't know who they are. And this not just Muslims, but all people I see do this. So this is why we're suffering, because we, we don't follow God's laws, and the religious thing is not really taken seriously. We have last two questions. Ragida. Ragida first, then I wanted to know, Mr. Ali, since you are presenting the painting to the United Nations and you're having this reception, what is the actual benefit for UNICEF or the children of the world? What is for, I mean, is, is there a certain thing that you're aiming at, financial support? <coughs> I didn't quite you could just make that a little shorter. What, what, is, uh, what are you giving in, uh, to the United Nations, you know, the child, that would benefit UNICEF? Thank you. Well, I'm giving a painting, and I'm, well, I have an expert here. We have a message in my painting, and not only that, I'm having an office in the United Nations where I will come, and I'll paint more pictures. We'll auction these pictures off. Yes. Yeah. Mr. Ali, I have an expert as you know here. that uh, President Carter, after now, he failed in the uh, bringing peace in the Middle East. How would you like to volunteer? and immediate between the Israelis and the uh, Arabs. I'm not as dumb as I look. <laughs> <laughs> we have now, I think we have... If, we I, have if I had a lower IQ, I could enjoy that question. <laughs> no, I was joking. That would be a big honor to try to make peace, but I don't think I could do that. And I don't think President Carter should be called a failure if he tried. I know, man, because that's a hard job to make a piece and something like that. Correspondent from Tasha asking for last 10 minutes. To the press, you are going to travel to the Soviet Union and to make for the first time in your life a film. Could you tell us what will it be about? What, 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 what was what about? This film, you are going to, to make a movie according to the press, to the, today's New York Times. Can you tell? Oh, the, movie I, the movie I'm making is Freedom Road. It's uh, about Howard was Fast. Howard Fast had a great novel out called Freedom Road about uh, the black people during the turn of the century, about 1850, when the first came in, the slavery ended. This mythical character, which was the typical black rebel of that day, uh, he could have existed, uh, named Gideon Jackson. And he uh, 
after the Civil War, he came back to Carwell Sinkerton, his uh, plant slave plantation, where they had a big white house and little shacks near it, and he educated his people, and he uh, united the poor blacks and whites. The integration almost took off then, and that formed the Ku Klux Klan to break it up. He fought the Klan. He uh, spoke. For, he fought. He represented justice as people. And it's a four-hour movie. I can't tell you too much about it because they want you to go see it. And it'll take place probably in um, probably two more months. It'll be on network television. Two night, two night chapter, two hours each night. It's gonna be a great movie, and I think it was real good. All the producers and directors liked it. And I might have a feel in acting if it's clean. Nothing. I couldn't take no part because of religion. Nothing, whether it's profanity, alcohol, uh, sex. It's got to be something concerning history, something where when I die, Allah won't question me and ask me why did I do it and throw me in a hot fire. I have to be sure that everything that I do on earth is pleased to God because we all going to die soon. We all know people dead in our families and relatives and friends, and the odds are 25, 30 years from now, many of us will be dead in this room. 60 years from now, we'll all probably be gone. So when you do die, it frightened me to think that there is a heaven and a hell, and somebody's writing and keeping track on whatever I do, and I might go to hell because of how I act and use my fame to make bad movies. So if I make movies, it's got to be right where I won't be shamed for God or Allah to look at the movie itself. So uh, I don't do no movies until they're right. So that's the future movies, to answer your question, might be very small because we live in a world that we uh, don't recognize righteousness. We live in a world that don't promote righteousness, and nothing that's clean really makes it in this country. It's got to be something dirty or some killing and some violence, and I won't be in that, so I might not be too big in the movies. Uh, Muslim and a high religious man and believe as an artist and writer. I would like to ask you how you compare this with boxing. Compare with making what? with boxing. Because religion is against boxing. Right. Well I tell you I tell you a good question. You got me on the spot if I couldn't answer you. But I tell you what I say. You look intelligent. That's a good question. That's a why can I be a fighter when people can get hurt, can get killed? And I'm a religious man. I talk about peace, talk about love, but yet I fight. Okay. See, Allah knows, God knows. When I say Allah, you who are not Muslims, when we say Allah, we mean God. Allah knows my purpose. It's not the action that makes the thing right or wrong, but the purpose behind the action. I kill a man today, I kill a man tomorrow. Allah may say, you're right for killing this man, but wrong for killing that one. The judge and the law will say, you're right for this one. Wrong. Why am I wrong for killing this man? Because we were arguing over ideal. He made me angry, I was jealous, and I killed him. Why did I kill the next man? Because I got to my house, my children were laying on the floor, throats were cut, my brother was shot, and the man was in the bed raving my wife. And I'm in my excitement, rage, and over oh, my children being dead and my wife being raped, I kill him. I don't get a day in jail, and Allah cannot look at me as a bad man. All right. Both actions is killing, but what's the term? What's the purpose behind it? What is my purpose in boxing? My purpose in boxing is to come to meetings like this. We live in a world, my friend, where if you don't have no money, 
If you don't have no fame, no title, you're nothing. In this society today, in the Arab world, I was over there, I saw people who wait on tables, and they, the, most of them are the blacker people. And I was throughout the world, and I see how our black people are treated in every country. I don't care if he's Arab, Muslim, they talk about unity in all these countries, but I see black people in the mud. I see black people waiting tables, black people are servants, and the whiter ones, the more white they are, the more Americanized they are, the higher they are. This has been established throughout the world. Now, I use boxing because it's a platform. I don't fight a man because I want to hurt him. I pray to Allah every fight, don't let me hurt the man. Jerry Quarry, it's a fact. I hit him and he was about to fall and I pulled off and I told the referee to stop it. Uh, Buster Mathers, James Ellis, I had him unconscious on the ropes and I saw he could have had a hemorrhage, a brain concussion. Allah punished me for deliberately hurting somebody to please the crowd. My intention is not to hurt, not to kill. My intention is to get newspaper published. How would I be? And here's a little black boy from Louisville, Kentucky, sitting in the United Nations, talking to presidents of the world. Why? Because I'm a good boxer. I needed boxing to get here. So my purpose is to use boxing to get to people. So. Allah will not punish me for that. I heard a story once, real quick, and I'm finished, about a king who was mistreating people, and this holy man taught some men to be robbers. And then he taught the 40 robbers. And people said, the holy man has lost his head. He's teaching people to be robbers. Then the holy man taught 500 robbers. Then he taught 1,000 robbers. And there was a king at the time misusing people, prostituting people, soldiers, tired taxing people. And finally, one day, the old man says, well, now, look, we done robbed everybody. I got you all rich. I taught you to rob. Now let's go there and do something good. Let's go overthrow the king and establish righteousness. He, they overthrow the king because they loved what he said. They believed in him. He got the confidence and they established righteousness. So the man wasn't wrong to teach people to rob because why did he teach them to rob? He taught them to rob because he wanted to build up the confidence. He wanted to get an army. His major role was to overthrow that evil king and establish righteousness. So he was right in teaching people to rob because he wasn't wrong. So I'm trying to say my fighting is my ministry. My fighting is the why I'm so big. My fighting is why I'm the world's most recognized. All of you people here from your countries, I can take an airplane right now, go to your country, get off and take a walk, and you couldn't control the crowd. I'm the oldest man in the world can do it because of my boxing. So I'm trying to say boxing was used as a platform to allow the world to know who I am so I can now do the work of God. So God knows I wasn't rid of boxing because I wanted to fight. He knows it wasn't for money. God, Allah, not you. See, you judge my actions, but God judges my heart. See, man judges man's actions, but God judges man's heart. And my heart is to do good and help and love people preach peace, preach unity, but I gotta have a Cadillac, I gotta have a Rolls Royce, I gotta have a home in Hollywood, because they don't listen to you in this country if you're nobody. Last two questions, sir. So that's why I box. That's why I box. So on those bases, on those bases, God will not punish me, because he knows what I'm saying now is true. Now, Charming Kennedy would like to ask. The World Organization, I was thinking the other day, I was, I was out a few weeks ago, I'm always thinking, when I was a little boy, before I started boxing, I says, I got to do something different. Uh, all boxers are quiet and humble. I start talking, I am the greatest, I am the prettiest. This made people angry, they come and see me win and lose, and one thing led to another. And so uh, I went to Brezhnev the other day, and I was over in Russia, and they said, Brezhnev want to see you. Antonio Dobrynin, UN, told me. Uh, 
um, ambassador in, in uh, Washington, Antonio Dobrynin, the Russia. He said, every little boy, every little girl, everybody in Russia know Muhammad Ali. Old people, wherever you go, no American, they know nobody but Muhammad Ali. No World Series, no Kentucky Derby, no Indianapolis 500, no Super Bowl. <laughs> they only know Muhammad Ali. In all of your countries, away from Pakistan, Morocco, Arabia, India, they seen um I said, I can't just go fishing or I can't just make movies. I got to do something. Now, I went to home of Seoul, just the Shabazz back there. We were, were we in Seoul, Korea? We went to Seoul, Korea. We had two million people in the streets of Korea. We went to Hore Bomedian's funeral. President Carter, they, Andy Young called me and says, Ali, Muslims, only Muslims can go to certain prayer service. We think you almost American can go in. I flew over there with Chip Carter and Blumenthal and Secretary Chair and all of this stuff, and I'm sitting up here with men in the UN. I'm just a boxer. And, and the mayor of New York welcomed me, and people all on the streets looking. I said, what now? God's calling me for something. What am I going to do? I just can't just do nothing. So I said, I'm going to start me an organization called WORLD. It's W-O-R-L-D, stands for World Organization for Rights and Living Dignity. Five letters. Each letter be black, brown, red, yellow, and white, representing all nations. And we are do all we can to... to uh, uh, make peace between nations on a social level. No politics involved. No race involved. No religion involved. Just all people trying to better. We set up office in the Rezhnev. Uh, some authorities said they they give me a spot in the Russian Kremlin. We can get a spot in Bangladesh. We go by 60 different countries, and we're talking, we're translating, we're trying to better relationships. We go do documentaries on Brezhnev, documentaries on President. Like, yes, the other man in this room probably are... Uh, if you ask the American, who's the president of Nigeria, they don't know his name. Do you know who the president of Ghana is? Ghana. You don't. <laughs> Big Africa, Ghana, you, you need world too. You don't know who the president of Ghana Who's the new leader of Ethiopia? You don't know who the leader Do anybody here know? <laughs> you think, uh, well, who, who's, who's the new leader of Ethiopia? But the ordinary man don't know. So we're going to do all we can, but disaster chapters, raise money for people, whatever we can do, and I'm trying to get it started now. Here's the last question, Uluk. Last question. I'm sorry. No, no, you're not After that. After that. After that. They want me to do a movie called Sword. It's a, a Arabian, some Arabian people. Sword was. Uh, have anybody here heard of a great Islamic warrior named Anto? Great man, wasn't he? They want to make a movie of Anto, and they want me to play Anto. Here's a, what was he? What was he basically? A warrior? warrior. Huh? He was a champion. A champion. Hunter, it's never, it's never been made. Do you think that would be a popular movie? In uh, 20 years back in, uh, it was in uh, Egypt. They well, they want to make, that's the, who asked me that question? Uh, um, that's the movie. The movie we, we'll have to check the script, my lawyers and managers. We, I'm not just, I'm like 
president. I have a staff of people that coach me on things. I, I wouldn't make the move until it's all approved. And all the, it's not okay yet. The rain, financial arrangements. So much has got to be done. Where are we going to shoot? How many people want my script approval? Like, we don't know yet. Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Mohammed Ali would like to show you a poster given to him by the Secretary General, who called him today Ambassador of Peace. Why not join thousands of stock market traders who make informed decisions thanks to the premium features of Finviz Elite? They receive robust, real-time stock quotes, pre-market and after-market data, advanced visualizations, backtesting, along with much more. Finviz Elite has one of the best stock screeners in the business, plus profitability research on 100 technical indicators. Finviz Elite is also packed with 24 years of historical statistics and numerous custom filters to help you sort it all out. Receive email notifications about important events, portfolio changes, and stock ratings, all within an ad-free interface at a price everyone can afford. Get full details about Finviz Elite at krobcollection.com. I hope you are enjoying Audio Antiques, our Golden Age radio podcast. If you are, why not subscribe and tell your friends? For more information about our shows and sponsors, check out krobcollection.com. Our music is by H Beats. That's H Beats with a Z. I'm Ken Robinson. Thanks so much for listening.